Hi everyone, welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology and the people using it. Welcome everyone, Nicholas Blank here with my co-host Chris Goosen at Microsoft Ignite. Hello. For more information on this episode, as well as a list of our other episodes, visit us on the web at thearchitects.cloud. This podcast is brought to you by Kemp Technologies. We chose Kemp as a sponsor based on their amazing product line for the cloud, which includes the Kemp Loadmaster appliance in the Microsoft Azure Marketplace, as well as Kemp 360 family. For more information, go to kemptechnologies.com. Today we're recording again from the Community Central here at uh, Ignite in Orlando, Florida. And uh, today we have a really, really special guest with us. Um, and I'm going to actually just hand over to her to introduce herself. Uh, Patience, welcome to the show. Thank you. So my name is Patience Witten. Uh, I am sat here in the community center as well. It's pretty orange, I must say. Uh, I am the Office 365 product owner at Dentsu Aegis Network, which is a media company over, based over in London. There's about 40,000 of us uh, and 150 different brands. Uh, and this is my first time at Ignite. Oh, well, welcome. And um, tell us what it means to be a product owner. So in terms of the role itself, uh, I am responsible for Office 365. So any application that comes into the suite, uh, I'm responsible for reviewing it, testing it, rolling it out, and then pushing it into support. And then probably my favorite part is driving the adoption um, through with the brands. So to me, that sounds uh, like an overwhelming task, right? And, and I think before we unpack that, because I think that's part of the reason why we, we sort of asked you to come and chat to us, um, there are a couple of things I, I kind of wanted to mention. Firstly, we've, been, we've had some really good conversations this week with, with people or folks who are either MVPs or evangelists in the community, um, and, and typically the guys who are deploying the solutions or at least help driving it from a partner perspective. We've also talked to Microsoft people, project managers, guys who own the product within Microsoft. Um, your perspective is unique because you're actually a customer, so we, we get to see sort of from the customer side. So that, I think, is going to be a really, really unique perspective. But also, uh, you are the first lady we've had on the show. So, you know, Nick and I are both at our best awesome. behavior today uh, to make sure that we <laughs> don't do anything or say anything to offend you. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess let's, let's kind of jump into that. Um, Although, generally speaking, we are not that offensive. Well, you know, we try. <laughs> so, one of the things you just said in your in your sort of intro is saying uh, talking about change and and how you kind of look at things coming down the suite. And I think there's a essentially sometimes a fire hose of, of technologies and announcements coming coming down the, the, the track. But from a change perspective, I think um, change is difficult, right, in all aspects, but particularly uh, in in the workplace. Um, especially when there's some sort of cultural shift, you know, in the way that people are working today and we're, we're, we're looking at a technology that may um, now typically change that or potentially change that. Have you found a, a magic bullet or a silver bullet? Or is there, do you have some secrets that kind of help you with that? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that I worked very quickly. I think that the rate of change suits me. I think in a company of our size, I don't think that we can dictate exactly which product suits which person. I think that there's a lot of different people, a lot of different ways of working, and so it's kind of identifying what suits you. So I massively try and push all of the products and enable them as quickly as we can to early adopters. I don't think that we have the right to tell the business what they can and can't use. I think that we should embrace it. So what I'm hearing you say is that 
there is the fire hose and we're acknowledging that Microsoft pushes product. Yeah. Or should we say releases product? Because you know it takes us away from the uncomfortable thing of, well, um, here's a new drug, would you like to try it? So Microsoft releases product and something new pops up on your radar. So what I'm hearing you say is that you'll give it to your users to try and is that in any way prescriptive? Is there any guidance that you'll attach to that? Or do you approach your early adopter saying, I have this new piece of collaboration. What are you going to do with it? And then based on that, do you then take that out into the wider business? Bear in mind, this is a mostly an adoption question. And do you do that based on their feedback? And what if your sample group, for example, is too small based on that? So a whole bunch of questions mm. that I'm going to ask you to unpack. So. I think in terms of the way we used to look at it and, and perhaps the way we were looking at it wrong was you get an application and then that's your whole application. It doesn't entwine within the stack. I think what we're learning more recently is is when they release an, uh, an application, it actually works much better combined with other applications and cross-collaboration. So that's one of the things that I definitely want to talk about. Uh, forms was one of those. So Forms got released and everyone looked at it and said, well, this is rubbish. It's not a comparison to SurveyMonkey. Let's not have it, let's turn it off. So we looked at it and we thought, well, they must have released this for some reason. So we're obviously looking at it wrong. So what we did is we, we got a group of people and we said, I think this can pair up well, you know, let's have a look at Flow. So we paired it up with Flow and that's actually how we did our rollout. So when we do adoption, we, we try and open it up, as I said, to early access um, almost within a week or so. Uh, and we say, hey, you know, you might see problems, you can't raise a ticket, that kind of thing. Uh, and what we saw was it entwined so nicely with, uh, with adoption. That sounds like a particularly aggressive approach, <laughs> but I can't see that working with, say, a, a power utility or someone who's in a heavily regulated industry. I don't see why not. I don't see why you can have test tenants, you can have environments that aren't necessarily your entire production environment. We have one tenant, so we're very, very cautious ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but we also have a test tenant. So that's where we do our alpha testing. Yeah. Then we roll into early release where you actually have to have that specific person dropped into an AD group. Okay. So there is huge control over there anyway. Yeah. Um, we would never expose everyone at one time until... Uh, you know, the beta process itself has to be accepted by CTO office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we've got any evidence that it hasn't passed any testing, we'll just postpone it. To do was a really good example of that. It got postponed. So as two follow-up questions to that, I understand that you've rolled out Microsoft Teams very successfully to your entire user base, so 40,000 folks. Yep. Yeah. And within that, using this approach, tell us, what does Teams actually mean to you as a product? And bearing in mind that there's a whole bunch of folks listening to us who think that Teams is an alternative chat client to a whole bunch of other things that are out there, including maybe even Skype or some of the competitive offerings. So tell us what Teams means to you and what problems it solves. I don't think Teams is a product. I think it's a workplace. I think, uh, I think that, that it's a whole host of capabilities. And I think from a support perspective, we're seeing the entire workplace that it is and how difficult it is to support because of this, because it is persistent chat, it's video, it's communications, what they're referring to it as intelligent communications, uh, then it's file sharing, so that's the data, and then you've got the extensibility, which is where I believe all the power is. Uh, 
we we are struggling to have one application that has to be supported by three different groups because it's not just one product. Yeah. Yep. So it, I mean, it definitely ties into the underlying uh, the underlying technologies, right? Like um, so with this journey to Teams, and I, I kind of want to get into this, the, the Teams deployment because I think, obviously, we've we've learned this week that Teams is a real massive focus, in, uh, some would say buzzword, mm-hmm. um, around the industry at the moment. Um, did you guys move from one platform to Teams, or did you find that you had multiple platforms that, that users were using that was then um, essentially consolidated into the, the new Teams uh, pl- product or suite? We... We have a whole host of platforms. We, we are Office 365, but we acquire a hell of a lot of companies each year. Uh, I think we're on target to acquire more than 40 this year. Uh, we acquired 41 last year. Uh, so with that, you are going to have legacy platforms, and our company are creative. So therefore, their day job is nothing to do with technology. That's just the platform they use to do their actual work. So you're not going to move someone away unless the product's good enough or the application or the workplace. With Teams, what we found was the brand started to adopt it themselves because it served the right purpose. And then what we found was people moved away from Slack because they needed to be in the Office 365 ecosystem that we have in order to work with our other brands. So something about Dentsu Ages Network is you'll have one client, but you might have a series of different brands working on that pitch or that client at any one time. So to be in a different platform is quite difficult. But having said that, I don't believe that you cannot stay within Office 365. I do think you can have other cloud services because of the, the strength of connectors. But ultimately, that brings you back into Teams anyway. Sure. And I think you've, you know, just in the, in the conversation we've just had, there have been a couple of things that just kind of sit off fireworks in my mind. One was extensibility. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get into that um, a, a little later on. Um, also, just thinking about, um, you know, did you guys find that, there was a perception potentially amongst your users that Microsoft isn't cool. You know, I've, I've worked in, in, in the um, uh, with media slash advertising uh, slash digital uh, space a little bit, and, and I know that the culture there is very, it's, it can be a very hip type of culture, right? Did you guys have any, any challenges with, you know, Google is better than Microsoft because it's a cool, perceived to be a cooler brand, or was it more, we know that this product is good, therefore uh, we don't care who necessarily is, you know, what brand it is or what product it is, we're just going to adopt it because it works for us? It's a very interesting question. I think that perhaps in a creative industry, Microsoft might have been deemed more corporate. Uh, I think that perhaps Google went quicker uh, and was more relaxed in terms of, I don't want to say security, but perhaps in terms of how locked down it was as an ecosystem. I think uh, more recently, Microsoft have come up because they provided the right tools. And I think as well, they've changed their marketing approach. I think with Teams, they marketed hugely to the point that our brands came to us and they said, hey, we've read this blog or hey, we've seen this on Yammer and, and we need to have it. So for the first time ever, the business was telling us, I don't think they cared it was Microsoft. I think they just cared that they needed that tool. Awesome. I think that and, and, and that's great, right? I think that's ultimately where we want to be. We we see it all the time in our in our day jobs and in the conversations that we have with with customers that there's there are certain perceptions, right? Uh, Microsoft isn't good at security, for example, is one I come across all the time. Uh, and and the fact that you know they're putting all this investment into those areas now and really innovating, I think it, it, it should be changing the conversation and changing the perception. So really glad to to kind of hear that that was um, that kind of that was your experience as well. Um, in terms of your deployment, um, 
what was Microsoft's involvement? How involved were they in, in kind of guiding you guys? Because I think you, you're definitely on the sort of the, um, the, the edge there, you know, pushing Teams, which is a relatively new platform um, at that scale. Microsoft didn't help us deploy. So we have one tech lead uh, and we, we were very, very early to market. So we, when Teams was in preview, um, we had a look and we, we had to, we got forced by the business to roll out to a wider beta pilot than we would have liked. Uh, and that was purely because they needed this, this platform to do their job. So I think for us, what we had was perhaps the ear of Microsoft to say, maybe this isn't working or, and, and we started to get a lot more attention because the, the, the rate of growth was so significant. I mean, we were, we were going up four or 500 a week a month, uh, I think we had over a thousand users in the pilot, whereas bear in mind, we, we usually have 20 um, w within a month or so. So in terms of deployment, no, there wasn't any help in terms of engagement, there was huge amounts. That's awesome, that's good to hear. What we're hearing a lot from, from organizations is that because of the rate of change that comes out of Microsoft, new technologies come along, or the technology that they are using in the way that they used to use it, like SharePoint, has changed so significantly that there seems to be a permanent place for managing adoption. Can you let us know how do you do adoption in your business and what does adoption mean to you guys? Bear in mind that for a lot of organizations, this is a very formal process and can vary from let's put leaflets down on people's desks because they don't read their mail, all the way through to we're going to recruit champions and middle management and exco and make sure everyone's singing the same song so that when the folks on the ground who need to use the technology or who the business desires will use the technology will actually adopt it. So what does adoption mean to your organization and how do you do it? I think it differs actually between regions massively. So in APAC, they have one spokesperson and all the messages have to go through him. They, they use a hell of a lot of color and they're very formal oh. with a lot of email yeah. um, and then videos. With Amir, they tend to have more champions, yeah. uh, a hell of a lot more videos. Uh, and in America, they're actually just getting started with their adoption. They've just hired an adoption lead, but they have gone for workshops. So I do think it differs. I think it also differs between product. Yeah. And I also think uh, we must understand that our audience are made up more of, I think most companies now have over 50% millennials. You know, we, we do look at an Instagram post for less than one second. So we have to understand that the people consuming the product need to have the right, maybe marketing and promotional material, so yeah. something that suits the, the person that's using it. And also people are much more tech savvy than we realize. So I think we do need to move away from documentation because in terms of maintenance, that's a full-time job. I think there's smart capability. I don't know if anyone's doing this, but to have a bot, a Q&A bot to crawl the support Microsoft websites would save a significant amount of time. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we've done ourselves is we built a SharePoint online site and in that it's called WorkSmart. And what we do is we try and pull in the use cases that we think our company has and we pair it up with applications, now a suite of applications. So if you're trying to work with a client and it's external, have you thought about using X, Y, and Z? Yeah. This is what's available and you click through and it tells you um, what you can and can't do. So if someone's trying to use team sites Currently, that's on-premise for some areas. 
So if they want to do that, they can't share with an external at this time. They need to go to online, so things like that. So definitely knowing knowing your audience, I guess, and knowing w the work or the, the use cases um, and the, the working habits of those people, right, is, is mm. certainly something I'm hearing you say. Um, how do you guys measure adoption? Is it, do you have a tool or a, or a reporting platform or something? Or how did, do you have some other way that you measure whether the product you've just deployed, yes, you may have you know, 40,000 people licensed for Teams um, or licensed for XYZ uh, application. How do you measure whether they're actually using that? I think that's a, it's a great question because I think previously people would say, okay, well, we've got 20% adoption on this, which means that that's poor. And I don't think that that's correct at all. I, I think if you're, if you're trying to say that 100% of your company should use one product, um, say OneDrive, but the settings on the OneDrive have seven days for external sharing, you know, expiration links, then you haven't provided them with the right way of working. I think as well, uh, in terms of adoption, we've got the adoption pack, which Microsoft have rolled out. I think it's okay. I think it can improve 100%. I think in terms of actionable items, we definitely have a look and think, okay, well, we have a, a huge adoption for SharePoint Online. Does it now make sense to start shutting down our data centers? Does it now make sense to shut down the network drives? At what point do you make those decisions? And I think we've, we've definitely had um, more conversations with senior management about moving away from, from a hybrid if we can, because I think this, this conversation of what to use when uh, becomes very difficult for users if you can't help guide them. Yeah, I agree. And I think especially when we're seeing all this stuff, if you will, you know, um, announcements, groups, we have teams, we have, and we, we, we talk about this all the time, right? Yammer, we have uh, public folders potentially and, and, and team sites and you know, all these the myriad of things. Um, and I think users oftentimes just get really confused because they, they're like, well, I can do the same thing four different ways uh, or in four different platforms. How do I, how do, I mm. do that? So I think that clear messaging of, you know, we understand what you need and here's what we think you should be, be doing. Um, the SharePoint online idea you just mentioned, I think that, that particularly sounds like a really, really good way to do it. Um, the next stage for the SharePoint online is, is to put a bot on it. So what we'll do is um, we'll try and understand, you know, hey, did that help you know why? And then just try and identify the use cases and what was missing. Because I think we have to understand that whilst Microsoft are changing and rolling out a hell of a lot of stuff, so is our audience. So how do you, um, how do you stay on top of everything that, all the changes, right? I, I find it overwhelming um, to, to, to stay on top of it and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of my day job. So how do, you, how do you stay on top of what's coming um, and, and particularly how that can apply to your organization? So in our team, we have external news feeds that come through. Um, so one of them is the office blog. Uh, we look at the admin center and we send out communications to quite a wide audience every day. Uh, if we think it's worthy of the end users, we send it to Yammer. We also we go through the roadmap every two weeks to try and pre-prepare ourselves for something that we think is quite exciting. Uh, and then also the user voice for all the applications is one of the best features, I think, that Microsoft have rolled out. I think in terms of demand planning, it's a really strong platform and you've you've actually got a, a space in which to be heard and influence change. Yes, and, and, and what's great about the user voice communities is that they pay attention to that stuff, right? You know, especially if you look at the exchange guys and, and, and the Skype for Business, all of them 
um, they're very, very well plugged into that, mm. and they really are taking uh, taking notes of what what gets said. So it's fantastic that they have that feedback loop into the product groups uh, to to help us with that. So you mentioned Yammer a second ago. So you so not only are you guys using Teams, but you have a use case within your organization for Yammer as well. Yes, I think I actually see a very clear difference between Yammer and Teams. I think our comms team was quite concerned about Teams when it got rolled out. I think that we're naturally inclined to be told to turn things off. Uh, I don't think that we need to panic about so much of this. But with, with Yammer, I think there's a really clear area now, which is this is a platform for company-wide. It's a platform to reach out in a network and say, hey, I've done this pitch with client X. Has anyone else worked with them? Can you share anything? I think that we've we've got pretty good adoption of Yammer. I think we've got over 22,500. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to use it. I think it kind of is what works for you. I think as well, I actually was having a chat with the Skype team yesterday and saying I was surprised that broadcast is going into Teams. I felt as though it belonged actually in, in Yammer. I think as a tech all hands, we do a lot of tech all hands with, you know, quite a few thousand people joining and I felt like it would naturally sit within Yammer and then that would pull into stream and I think the the, the, the linking of stream is probably one of the greatest things I've seen this week but yeah so I, I did say to them I was surprised that we would still go back to teams to do that piece and I think that would be a question for me in terms of not what does that mean for Yammer but what is Yammer going to get as well? Sure and I think that makes I've never thought or considered that and, and you make a very good point that if 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 Yammer is the organization-wide um, the tool, right, the tool for the, that wide audience, it makes a lot of sense for for a broadcast um, a type. Yeah, uh, yeah th th I n I've never thought about that, and I've just like my mind. That's fantastic. So one of the things I, one of the questions I get asked often, and in fact, I have slide decks on this because I I, <laughs> um, I have a a, a session at uh, Dev Connections next month where I'm actually talking about this. Um, is how do you stay on top of of um, change and release management and, 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 and I think the way you just described it there is you know it's someone's job to look at the roadmap and I've been an advocate of that for such a long time saying you need to be doing it right if you own Office 365 whether you're a business owner or whether you're a technical owner you have to be looking at the roadmap and so it's it's really great to hear that that's something that you guys are actually doing um, because I feel like that is going to prepare you for what is coming down the track yeah absolutely I think as well our, our brands are really enthusiastic about Microsoft, or not Microsoft, about capabilities that come out. And they they also look and they come to me and say, hey, have you seen this? I think last night I got an email going, hey, have you seen the new Flowbot? Uh, and he's not even here. And he said, I've just seen it on the screen. Uh, and so I had to rush over and try and find it. So people are very well connected. And, and it's not people in technology, it's business users, which I think is much more exciting. And they've got real use cases, they're ready to go. So I think in terms of keeping an eye on the roadmap, it's critical. Uh, but at the same time, I think the cloud can make a real fool of you if you try and pretend that you know everything. I think that you have to have open ears. I think we probably have to listen as much as Microsoft do to their own customers. I think we're almost treating our brands as customers. And I think it's very important to to flex with, with that consumption and, and those requests and also yeah, it's, it's, it is a responsibility to look at roadmap, I think. You said something very interesting there about the cloud can make a fool of us. We have come out of this on-premises world where things were in three-year cycles. 
there were lead pipes between stuff and things were very predictable and that's worked well for well over a decade. Now a lot of organizations were very comfortable with that because there was this uh, very predictable cadence of product and I knew what was coming and Microsoft would share their planning with us where today we're in a completely different world where your primary vendor, if Microsoft is your primary OEM, can iterate every two weeks or mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. Does that not put you at the mercy of your vendor and does that not make you beholden to Microsoft in some way to be forced to be dragged along with this rate of change? No, I, I think the rate of change has happened organically. I think that we've moved away from, from lockdown IT and I think that the rollouts and the update cycles were indicative of lockdown IT. I think that the knowledge and the, you know, PowerShell was lockdown IT. It was all about knowledge being a privilege. I think Teams, I see Teams as like a millennial. Yeah. I think it continuously updates. It's quite tech savvy. It's a little bit disruptive to people. And I think perhaps that's what millennials are. I think uh, the rate of change has to dictate the, the people that are using it. And it has to continually move. If it stops, it'll become redundant and then something else will pop up. Fair enough. So you feel that Microsoft is more responding to the, um, the pull that millennials are generating on the industry or the demand mm. in terms of this is how we want to do tech. Where previously tech was something that you consumed because there was nothing else. There was only Exchange. There was only SQL. Talking about Microsoft as a vendor now. And you're saying that if Microsoft doesn't keep up with this rate of change based on the demand that millennials are putting on Microsoft, so using Teams, for example, as, um, as, as an example there, that potentially Microsoft could be sidelined as a vendor? Yeah, Is absolutely. That right? I, d I do believe that. I think that you have to continually move. You know, one of the, the products that I'm most keen on is Flow and the ability to link between Flow or Slack if you need to, yeah. you know, to bring it back into your ecosystem. But I think flow's rate of new templates is huge and so we find that we go back in almost daily to find new ones yeah with the same with teams teams exposes a lot of new bots yeah and new capabilities and as soon as they stop that then you'll probably look at something else that will pop up and think okay well what can that do okay so i think that if they if they stand still i i don't think probably okay how can i explain it in terms of someone of 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 my generation or someone in my workplace, perhaps in media, we move around a lot. And I think that we're less tied to a company now. Uh, I saw a really interesting stat the other day, I think it was by PwC, that learning and development is now the, uh, the key requirement from anyone working, it's not the money. So I think that we are not vendor tied. I don't think we're company tied. I think it's perhaps a little bit generation me, which I guess is what a millennial is. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about, what can I use to make my day better? And I think that's the same with products. I don't think, I think Teams is great. And I think Teams serves a fantastic purpose. If Teams stopped investing in itself, then it wouldn't serve the purpose and then people would go somewhere else. And I think that that's a, that's a fascinating point, right? Is that Microsoft have a responsibility to keep up with the, I guess, the needs of the, of the workforce. But I think organizations have that same responsibility, right? We, I see it all the time, uh, kind of in more in the, in the security space, working with customers where, they, they have a tendency to lock down everything. Yes. And, and the younger workforce today will, will find the path of least resistance, right? If, if, if you're not going to allow me to do external sharing on OneDrive, 
then I'm going to use Dropbox yes. or I'm going to use Google or I'm going to use something else that doesn't impose those restrictions. Um, and so shadow IT is, is, you know, is alive and well in the, uh, in the workplace Absolutely. at the moment. And so as an organization, if you take that same stance to say, well, we understand the needs of our users and we're going to um, do what we can to, uh, to cater to those needs, that problem goes away. Absolutely, I think that's uh, when when we talk about the rollout of applications and doing an early adopters program or a beta program is exactly that. So if we if we don't enable our own business, then we be become redundant ourselves because we're not moving fast enough. So then, and I think this is a really tricky time. If if we don't move fast enough, someone else will, and it probably won't be in our organisation. So technology in industries at the minute have. A real challenge on their hands for two reasons. One is how do you become value add IT? You can't do 20% plus on infrastructure anymore. You, your, your cloud services are public, the price is public. And so, what is your company going to do to enable you to use that product? I think the second thing is, and, and this is something that I say often in our company, is you're going to have a hell of, lo hell of a lot of people moving in from end user, end user support to consultative roles where the products are going to look after themselves the maintenance is going to look after themselves so are you going to become an expert on that product and are you going to help users and I think that's a totally different skill set it's a soft skill yeah so I think it's an interesting time so you know and I, I've been saying this for a while and I think this kind of ties into the conversation is that I think we're going to get to a point um, where when we interview people and when we're trying to attract talent to our organizations um, it's going to be a, a conversation about, well, what technology do you as a business use, right? Because as, as an employee or a potential employee, I don't want to go and work for a business that is stuck in the Stone Age in terms of its technology. I want to work for someone who is enable me, enabling me uh, to be productive and to do the best possible thing that I can do. Um, and so I haven't had it yet. I, I do interview from time to time, but uh, or interview candidates. Let's, let's clarify that before I get uh, in trouble. <laughs> Chris wants to eat at the end of the show. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I haven't yet had anyone ask me, you know, what do you guys use for collaboration? But I don't think we're far off that. No, I think I think we ask a different set of questions. I think benefits now are not, for, for the UK, it's certainly not what it used to be. Uh, I used to come from a private equity firm. There, there was definitely a lot more benefits there than there is in a media firm. But I think I don't care. It's not important to me. I think my own learning and development path and the tools in which I use to do it are much more important to me than whether I'm going to get a free breakfast. So quantify that for me. So what is the tangible benefit that you get from learning a knowledge that a company will present to you versus cold hard cash? What does that mean to you? I think it's actually time. So I think there's a hell of a lot of open source information now. Yeah. I think it's about if you want to know, you can find the information. Yeah. I think you have to have a line manager or a group of people that say, okay, if you want to go and learn, it's not really about a week-long course anymore. It's, it's, okay, do you want to spend a day looking at that or do you want to spend a couple of hours looking at that and then see what you can do with it? I think it's perhaps freedom to innovate, not uh, go off on a training course and, and then you know, you've had your two grand for the year and that's that. It, it, yeah, it's it's no longer about ticking a box, right? Because no. I think in the past it's always been for organisations an employee gets X number of you know um, training dollars or mm -hmm. training quid to spend on a on, um, on training, and so you can go to a conference and that ticks the box, or you can go on you know two 
one day sessions or whatever the case may be that ticks the box it's not about that anymore and i also think that it bec that type of stuff becomes so redundant so quickly you know nowadays it's everything's changing all the time so it's got to be this constant improvement absolutely i think we're going to be in a really interesting time in terms of workplace as well we are looking at engagements where you're going to have to have a specific skill set that you might not have in-house. So I think we'll see a shift from permanent people. I think we'll have the security. I think we'll have operational. I think we'll have project managers, absolutely. But I think the you know the data scientists, the cloud, the AI, the Azure, Office 365, th those experts are going to have to be brought in because you're not going to have the time or the resources to maintain your own permanent staff. Hmm. And it, 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 you know, in many senses, it um, it may not always make a whole lot of sense, right? It doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to, um, I don't know, have someone on staff who is a very specialist skill in a particular area that you would only need one time a year, or, hmm. or you know, one time every two years, or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, what you're saying, I think, makes a whole lot of sense. I also think that we're seeing a, a, a big change in in terms of where people work from, right? We don't have this traditional um, kind of enclosed or, or bound or company campus or, or, you know, we're in, a, in the same building and therefore we can be productive, but now we go outside or we go to Starbucks and now we can't be productive. I think we're seeing a lot more people working from home. Certainly office space is expensive everywhere and we're seeing this, this, this model of um, this young people wanting to be remote and, and it's a different culture, right? I think... Um, for me, like I, I'm always with where my customers are, and I see all of this all the time. You know, one time you're, you're going to a customer site uh, one month, and, and they'd have offices, and then a year later yeah. you visit the same customer, and all of a sudden now they don't have offices anymore. It's all open plan, right? It's it's trying to empower people to do um, the same type of productivity, but from wherever they are. So, I think I think with space, that's an interesting one. I personally don't like working from home. I like to work with people. I, I work better when I'm spitballing ideas around. I know a lot of people that enjoy working from home, but I, I think as we see more consultants in, or people in a consultative role, you know, less bums on seats because it costs less to have that many people. And I don't think it's a, I don't, I think when we say we're being agile, I think there's different meanings of it. I think a CFO means cost saving. I think a person working thinks cool. Um, but I think as we see more people doing it, there will become a need for new spaces. You know, WeWorks here this week, I think mm -hmm. they've got a great model, but there's going to be so many more people needing to work from a space. And I think, yep. you know, in, in big cities, the, the price point for renting is such where if you're quite young, you're not gonna have a, probably a very good setup for, mm -hmm. for working. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a huge gap in the market for uh, WeWork plus consulting services so it's interesting that microsoft bought linkedin mm -hmm. and they've almost seen that the consultative service is going to happen mm -hmm. they're going to see how they can tie in your profiles with bing for business and yep. i think we're going to see a lot more of that in on a smaller scale as well and again i think that that kind of again talks to the point of understanding the workforce and understanding you know um i think the the younger generation the younger culture they want to be in a team, they want to see each other, yep. they want to be able to goof off, right, as the Americans say. Um, whereas, I guess, the slightly older generation are okay with, with, with I have a task, I'm going to get that task done, right, as opposed to, I'm going to collaborate and we're going to work together on an outcome. Yeah, I, um, but, but, but bringing it back to teams, I do think teams has given people a platform in which to collaborate without 
having to be in the office. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I think at some point, though, you do need human contact, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Um, but I do think that it's the best, the next best thing is, is Teams in. You know, you've got such a strong, crisp video, great audio, uh, and, and a space in which to, you know, have light conversations, to use the GIFs that I don't particularly use, but I know a lot of my colleagues do to, you know, if someone makes a mistake, you can perhaps make a little bit more of a joke than, sure. than it was before. Okay. Well, look, I think that's... that's um that's really great insight. I think, uh, what do you think of the, 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 the announcement about Teams uh, and the Skype for Business client and how they are essentially becoming one? I think it makes perfect sense. I think in terms of feature parity, Skype had a uh, significant amount of making up to do to Max. <laughs> and I think Teams gave them this, this ability to cool. Uh, and I think they're going to have to work quite hard to get Max back. I really do. I think that they've uh, they've had a negative experience, and I think once you get burned by tech or get burned by someone, uh, you're going to have to work quite hard. I think Teams is a good enough product. I think the rate of change is such in Teams and their dev team um, that it will go quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I think we'll see. I've heard rumors that broadcast is coming in this year. Um, I've heard that uh, they're going to do a three-step approach, so you go side by side. So people get used to it. So you've got Skype and Teams. Then it's going to go side by side with notifications to be like, hey, you missed something here. And then finally, Teams only. So I think it's it's quite a clear stepped approach. I think you'll see a lot of people almost skip from notifications straight to Teams only. And mm. then you'll see some probably Mac users just go straight to Teams. Excellent. So you had a session here at Ignite um, a couple of days ago. Uh, so for those who, people who are listening and, and, and maybe didn't make Ignite and uh, are looking to download sessions of the of the session builder, do you know if your, your session was recorded, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you want to plug that session? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a collaborate uh, in a chat-based workspace with Microsoft Teams. Um, and it was with Praveen and Leif from Microsoft. Um, they are the marketing and the program manager of, of Microsoft Teams. Okay, it was a pretty fun session. Yeah, uh, and the session code for that, for anyone who's looking, looking it up, was uh, BRK2009. Um, and so before we let we, we let you go, uh, is there anything else you want to you want to plug? Um, do you have any uh, I guess uh, social outlets? Do you want, if people wanted to reach you or chat to you or connect with you, anything like that? It's your time. Twitter, blogs, anything that you're willing to publish or be known for. Do you know, we had this conversation the other night, and I said I, I don't think that I would create a blog because I, I don't think I'm funny enough. Uh, and actually, we were having a conversation earlier as well, and we said, even though your sort of inner thoughts might not seem very interesting to you, they could be valuable. So That's I right. don't have one yet, but I think I, I probably will be setting one up. But at the minute, I'm just a LinkedIn girl. No Twitter presence? Um, not that's interesting enough. I'm more of a searcher and a follower than okay. a follow worth following at this time. Well, then I guess watch the space, right? I think <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be sure to see what we can do to promote you know, anything that, that, that may spin up after this. I think I need to get a cool name. <laughs> that makes absolute sense. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. This has been really, really informative, and uh, you know, and we obviously appreciate you coming out early in the morning. And uh, I think we're all well caffeinated for this, so that's great. <laughs> so, thank you again, and we look forward to speaking to you at another time in the future. Thanks for having me. You can find me, Nicholas, on the Twitter at Nicholas Blank, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. I blog at blankmanblog.com. I'm also on Twitter at Chris Goosen, or you can visit my blog, cgoosen.com. Our show is on Facebook at facebook.com slash thearchitects.cloud. 
and our website as before, thearchitects.cloud. Our Twitter handle, at thecloudarch.